Awakening the Roots of Joy. Um, so, so when we use the word joy, we're pointing to an experience. So all words point to some kind of experience. Um, and, uh, and joy maybe we could say is an experience of uh, um, it's a kind of a feeling uplifted, feeling a quality of energy which is pleasant. Um, we might say that with joy we feel connected. So remembering, as I said earlier in the, in the day as we began this morning, I made a distinction between you know, the happiness, which is based on pleasant conditions, you know, like something that um, we see or we taste or we, uh, you know, we experience or, you know, uh, we hear, uh, we anticipate. Um, so because, because those conditions um, may or may not be there, uh, they probably will change. Uh, in fact, it certainly will change. Um, you know, even if we we go on, you know, a, just a really wonderful vacation and everything goes well, and we're we're seeing beautiful sights and having pleasurable expense ex experiences. I almost said expense expenses. <laughs> that can be a moment when the joy dissipates or the happiness dissipates when our credit card bill comes. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, so all of these things, you know, kind of these conditions that are pleasant and we enjoy um, change and come to an end. So, so it's not that we shouldn't enjoy and experience pleasant experiences and, and, and value them, but we can't hold them. We can't hold on to them. Um, and so when, our, when we're looking to conditions like a pleasant environment or you know, uh, being with people that we, we like um, and not being with people that we don't like, uh, if we're depending on that for our uh, state of mind to be happy or joyful. We're going to be always uh, kind of looking for something else, you know. It can become addictive, you know. People have all kinds of addictions. Addictions to food, addictions to shopping, you know, that hit. When you say, oh, that's a beautiful whatever, you know, I want it, I want to buy it. And of course, addictions to alcohol and drugs, dependency on substances for um, a state of mind to not be. Usually, where uh, where when we're addic addicted to substances, intoxicating substances, we're 
trying to escape from painful states of mind, right? So, so now we're talking about um, joy, which is a development of the mind. Um, and how can we nourish the roots of joy? Not necessarily that we can, you know, we can't, we can't uh, make joy appear. Um, and, um, and as I also mentioned in the beginning, uh, joy is something that arises and it's, it's, not, it's not always what is natural to be experiencing, you know, in our lives at any time. Um, uh, and there are different kinds of joy, so I'll, I'll touch on different kinds of joy um, as well. So, so joy, um, joy is uh, is a pleasant uh, experience, quality of of energy in the mind and the body um, feels uplifted, connected, and um, and it arises from conditions. Uh, we can open to it. It's not something that we can have on demand that we can control or force, but we can make choices that, that cultivate the roots, cultivate conditions that are conducive to the arising of joy. It's uh, joy arises as a development of the mind and as a, as a development of, um, as a result of letting go of what creates suffering. So when we begin to understand what's creating suffering in our minds and we say, I'm going to stop doing that, I'm going to stop doing those things that create more suffering, that's, that's one part of how we create um, uh, space for joy to arise. We create the conditions for joy to arise. So when we, when we recognize that, you know, Maybe there's a, a compulsive or driven quality to, in our attitude toward work, or, or that um, maybe there's a, a kind of a cynical attitude that we, that we carry uh, in our relationships or, um, or an aggressive habit of mind that we hold. Um, we can notice this, and we need, and this is how meditation is so important. Because, you know, as I mentioned in the introduction to meditation, we begin as the, as we're stabilizing our attention, we begin to notice what are the habits of mind, what are the attitudes of mind that are coming up, and and we recognize that we have a capacity to let go of those, to release those to not continue to feed those with our stories, with our, with our thoughts, but just to just let it go and come back to the breath, come back to being just present, open, attentive. So, um, 
So joy is, um, joy comes and goes. It also comes and goes, like different conditions that, that are pleasant. You know, those come and go, and we can enjoy them. So joy arises as an inner experience. It can arise, you know, just um, for no apparent cause. You know, just can notice that we're feeling joyful. And, uh, and just, we can open to that and just be grateful for it and, and just be present with that. Let's say just more, some more reflection on, you know, what is joy? What are we talking about when we're talking about joy? Uh, maybe we can say it's a kind of a sense of aliveness and well-being. It's a sense of joy is a sense of aliveness and well-being. Um, a sense of um, being the moment, being complete as it is. Uh, openness. We could say that um, the joy that there's a characterization perhaps of of engagement that when we're engaged with our lives there's a quality of joy that's present. Um, there's a quality of joy that's present in, in really engaging fully in practice, like making mindfulness practice something that's really central in our lives, that, you know, that it, it, uh, it's really putting at the forefront that what we're, what's most important to us is not necessarily getting something or having stuff or being recognized or um, being famous, but it's really being authentic and being honest and, and being aware. And so there's joy in that, in, in really uh, coming from the heart. Um, There's a, there's a quote that I found um, from Rumi. Uh, when you do things from your soul, you feel a river moving in you, a joy. So, you know, when, we're, when we feel we're living from the heart, when we feel we're being authentic, when we feel that, you know, our life is uh, coming from a place of, of authenticity, um, of, of wholeness, uh, of honesty with ourselves and others. So there's a joy in that. So, uh, so what are some of the roots of joy? So, um, you know, just to repeat, uh, we, we can't summon joy, and yet there are choices that we can make, practices we can do 
uh, elements that we can bring into our lives in a conscious way, in, a, in an intentional way, that create the conditions for joy to arise, what I call the roots of joy. And so we, what we talked about at the, um, the check-in is generosity. So that's the first one that I wanted to talk about. That, um, so, so generosity reverses our habits of grasping for ourselves. And um, you know, when, we, when we share what we have, then um, we're, we're kind of opening up to the life around us. We're opening up, opening our heart to the needs around us. And, um, and that, that grasping, you know, it's a kind of, um, when we grasp things, when we grasp, grasp onto stuff or when we grasp onto, you know, um, being praised or being, um, or getting, accumulating wealth, um, it really, it, it comes from a place of wanting to be happy, of wanting to feel secure. You know, it's, it's not that it's coming from an evil place, it's coming from a place that, you know, of thinking, well, if I have this, or if I do this, or if I get this recognition, or this position, you know, that I'll feel good. But what we discover when we examine our lives, when we bring a, a kind of a wise uh, investigation to our lives, we recognize that stuff and, and prestige and wealth actually doesn't provide any lasting happiness. I mean, Yes, if we're, you know, there are studies that have been done on this, like, yeah, if we're always hungry, like if we're, if we don't have enough to eat, you know, if we're on the street and we don't have a home to live in, you know, yeah, that's, there's suffering in that. But there's been a, a, quite a lot of studies around what actually makes people feel happiness or well-being. And beyond having enough, uh, to, to feel, you know, safe. Um, really getting more doesn't add to our, uh, our happiness. So, um, so, so this is, you know, with wise examination, we can discover this. Wise investigation, we can discover this for ourselves. And, uh, and so this, you know, generosity opens our heart to um, to share with others who who don't have enough, who maybe are struggling in some way, and it might not be struggling or suffering because they don't have enough to eat. It might be it might be because they're feeling lost or uh, <coughs> or a loss from. You know, uh, some someone or something that they've lost in their lives, or feeling alone, or um, so just 
just even sharing our our presence with the 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 world around us, smiling, saying hello, acknowledging the humanity of the cashier who's who's um, you know checking out your your groceries or your you know at the pharmacy, and just having that simple momentary human interaction uh, can be an act of generosity. When we when we're generous, you know it also. Uh, helps us address that fear, to not be driven by that fear of insufficiency. I don't have enough for myself. And then I also talked about the joy in, uh, in giving uh, the, the way that there are three ways in which generosity gives joy. As the Buddha said, in the consideration of giving, in the act of giving, and in the remembering that we were generous. So another um, way that we can cultivate the roots of joy is, um, is through the practice of ethics. So, um, so practicing non-harming uh, that's the that's the at the essence of um, uh, of ethical practice in in the Buddhist tradition so uh, so there are there are ethical precepts that that are given uh, not to not to kill not to not to steal not, not taking what's not given not to um, not to lie, not to use our sexuality in ways that are harmful to ourselves or others, and not to um, use intoxicants in a way that creates carelessness or heedlessness in the mind. So these are the sort of the precepts, and the and the and the heart of these ethical precepts is um, is is non-harming to ourselves and to others. So. Um, so the so the refraining from causing harm and the refraining from doing what we know is harmful to ourselves or to others gives joy in that we experience a sense of integrity uh, when we refrain from doing harm. So you know one one example I often use of this is. Um, it's it's a very simple example, and a lot of people do it. Uh, you know, so if you work for a company, you know sometimes um, you know people just take home uh, office supplies. You know, so I mean, oh, you know, I'm working for this big corporation or a university, so I, you know, I could take home some paper, I could take home, you know, some pencils or pens or whatever, and. Uh, um, you know, and they don't know, and you know, it's in the but in the big budget of the university or the corporation, you know, they don't care. But but we know, and um, and so uh, we can you know we can say you know what that wasn't given to me. 
my I wasn't told it's okay for you to take home these supplies and and use them at home you know for your personal use that wasn't given to me and I'm going to actually refrain from taking what was not given Now, maybe you can think of other examples that pertain to your life how sometimes you know maybe you take what's not given sometimes sometimes you know we 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 take we, I'm hesitating to say this because uh, but sometimes we take up people's time uh, sometimes uh, and 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 sometimes it's okay you know I, I think it, I'm hesitating because because we can be too reticent to um, you know share our lives with others but um, but sometimes you know uh, it happens when somebody wants to talk to us about something and um, and we start sharing our own story and um, and that's in a way that's taking attention um, so you know it's just it's it's a kind of a contemplation of you know how are we taking uh, in ways that was not actually given to us you know uh, and um, or 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 another of the precepts is is not telling the truth so you know gossiping is is another way that we we cause harm um, uh, and and it's you know we talk about other people and it's so common it's um, it's actually hard to have a conversation it's hard to hang out with people and not um, participate in gossip you know because it's so prevalent I you know I used to take I, I don't do it so much anymore but you know when I first got my dog you know and I went to dog parks and people would hang around you know like they're the dogs that are off playing and then there's the little pack of people that are you know <laughs> talking t- amongst each other and and very often they were ta- they were gossiping about other people who come to the dog park who weren't there at the moment and you know and it's like uh, how can we refrain from participating in talking about other people negatively uh, in their absence you know in work situations and in family situation and friend situation it's it actually causes harm to ourselves and it causes harm in our relationship with <clears throat> with that person because whether or not they know that we talked about them we know that we talked about them and when we refrain when we intentionally cultivate refraining from unskillful speech there is a kind of integrity that we feel which is joyful there's a joy in integrity and um, and and I want to also just mention that if that's not self-righteousness you know so let's not get integrity mixed up with self-righteousness like 
yeah, I'm such a good person. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's different. Um, like it's like I'm better than you because you know you're gossiping and I'm not. Uh, it's it's just like oh, um, I don't I don't choose to participate in this, and uh, and and it might even be necessary to remove yourself to you know to kind of just walk away say oh I got I have to do something or you know or just be silent um, uh, or even to explain you know what uh, I, I don't usually like to talk about people so much when they're you know people who aren't here uh, it can be uncomfortable but it's, um, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's worth finding our way how to refrain from these uh, harmful activities. And it's, you know, it's been a really important part of my journey to, to really uh, kind of do an ethical review of my life to see where I've caused harm. Um, it was uh, when I when I did a training once with a teacher. You know, he asked us to 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 really think about times when we've we've caused harm and and um, uh, and think about if we wanted to um, repair that. You know, whether it's reaching out and writing a letter. You know, I. I heard something on the radio recently about uh, this, this, this woman talked about how she had been bullied when she was a kid and, um, and how, uh, how traumatizing that had been for her and, um, and that when she was older, like university age, one of the people who had participated in that contacted her and apologized, and and how healing that was for her. I uh, when I was uh, when I was young in my twenties, and I was kind of a, under the influence of somebody who wasn't very uh, good for me, and I borrowed some money. wasn't a huge amount, but I borrowed some money from somebody. And uh, and never paid it back. You know, it was it was enough. It was a hundred dollars, and um, and so then when I so I was uh, I was saying that I was doing this this course, and this person, this teacher, asked me to asked us to recall, you know, uh, times when we had caused harm and through an ethical breach and. Um, and so I, um, I reached out to this person, and I said, you know, and I, I went and, and visited him, and, um, and he said, and, I, and he remembered, he remembered, you know, and he, he was, he wasn't wanting for money, he was, but he, uh, and, he and he said, it's okay, your debt is forgiven, you know, and he didn't want to take the money, but he really appreciated my contacting him, and I, and it was something that I had held uh, in my heart, 
as as a, a wrong I had committed, and um, and it was important for me to uh, to reach out and, and 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 heal that. So so integrity integrity is a, a, a is an important part of joy. Another way that we cultivate roots of joy is through a collected and a calm mind. And I talked about that a little bit in the guiding into the, into the meditation practice. So when we, when we're not, when we're developing the capacity to not be so driven by our habits of mind, you know, whether they're worrying or wanting or self-judgment, or um, or judging others, um, or ruminating about the past, um, collecting the mind. It it actually is in the teachings on meditation that joy is a stage in meditation. That as we become we come to a sense of ease in the body and the mind becomes more calm and joy arises. And, um, and it, it can be actually a joy which is quite energized. And then that joy is, is really a stage in meditation that we move. Joy is not the, the kind of the end of meditation because we move into other stages of, of uh, kind of a spaciousness and equanimity and, and so on, which are even more stable than joy. Um, but joy arises in meditation. But just that simple act of coming back to the breath, you know, and letting go of the preoccupation and just being present with a single breath, that is a way that we cultivate the roots of joy. And another way that meditation cultivates joy is <clears throat> that in meditation, we begin to see that our thoughts are not who we are. We identify so much with our thoughts, with our beliefs. You know, we think something, and so therefore we think, well, I thought it, it must be true. But thoughts just come, they're conditioned. They, they come from, you know, what we've been taught, you know, what we... what we've been taught from our families, what society teaches us in many ways, um, even not, we kind of absorb it. We just kind of, uh, by osmosis, it it creeps into our our ways of thinking. We don't even know what shapes our thoughts. It's so pervasive. The conditioning of, of our culture is so pervasive. And so... In meditation, we begin to see that actually this quality of presence, this quality of, of simply being, of knowing, 
of being aware. There's a, a kind of a spaciousness of awareness through which our thoughts, our emotions, our, our, our preferences, our sensations, they all come and go. And that space of knowing is something that abides. And we can learn to abide and be present within that sense of space, that openness, that knowing. And that is, a, there is a quality of joy in that, of, of abiding in an openness. Even in, if what is kind of moving through our space is not necessarily easy to be with. Even if we're noticing that there's a habit of mind that's present, you know, like jealousy or, or grasping or anger, you know. And yet when we're not identified with that, when we recognize that that's just a habit of mind, it's not who I am, you know, that's, that's insight, that's wisdom that develops in our meditation practice. And there's, there's freedom in that. There's the joy that comes from a sense of, of freedom. Uh, that I don't need to follow that anger. I don't need to be pushed by that grasping. You know, I don't need to act on that jealousy. So, so maybe um, uh, yeah, I'd like to like to leave some time so I'll just say a couple more things about uh, roots of joy joy is one of the um, what are called the uh, the beautiful qualities of heart mind there are four that are taught in Buddhist teaching um, they're called in, in the, the Sanskrit or Pali expression is Brahma Viharas um, and the literal translation of that is heavenly abodes, um, and uh, you know, or you could just say they're the best places to hang out. You know, mm -hmm. so so these these qualities of heart mind are are love and compassion, and joy and equanimity. So joy is one of those beautiful places of heart mind. It's nice to hang out in in joy. So so love is connected to joy. And so, um, so we, can, we can open to the love that we have and let love, let love be our kind of compass, you know. Let love steer us. Um, feel our connection to others. You know, like, see the love that's around us. There's so much love, like, just walking down the street you know, you see love between a parent and a child, you know, a daddy, it's Father's Day tomorrow, you know, it's, I really love seeing daddies with their kids, you know, holding their kids, playing ball with their kids, or, you know, mommies, you know, of course, uh, nurturing and taking care and, 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 um, and people caring for their elderly, their elderly parents and their elderly neighbors. Like, yeah, so people talked about 
the love, the kindness, kindness, another word for love, uh, kindness of neighbors. You know, so just really taking in the love around us. And, and, and joy is actually an antidote. It, it, all of these are practices, love and compassion and joy and equanimity. There are, there are these beautiful, rich practices. Uh, we're going to do something this afternoon, which is a practice of, of love. And um, um, joy is a practice sharing in the joy, like opening to the happiness of another is an antidote, antidote to jealousy. So we might see somebody's good fortune, and we might think, like we might have that reaction like, I wish that were me, or that's not fair, or I should have that, you know. And jealousy or envy is, it's not, it's an emotion that, you know, we're usually not very proud of, right? It's something that we tend to not want to admit that we're envious of somebody else's good fortune. But we can open to joy in their joy. Like that's a doorway to to actually freedom from that that pain of being envious, like saying, Well, you know, just I imagine you know, so say we don't have a relationship, maybe we're not in a relationship and we see, you know, a couple walking along, you know, the riverside holding hands and Wow, they look happy. I wish I had a relationship. And then we can go into envy, and we can go into self-judgment, and you know, and feeling how you know I don't have something, you know, which is a state of suffering. Or we can, or we can say they really look happy. You know, I'm happy for them. You know, can I can I open my heart? to be happy, to share in their happiness. And that's a practice that we can do. And it brings joy, you know, to, to open our hearts to the happiness of others. There's a beautiful poem, short poem by Hafiz, um, about... <clears throat> wanting to be loved and and offering the love uh, and experiencing the love that we seek by offering it. And it goes this way. Admit something. Everyone you see, you say to them, love me. Of course, you don't do this out loud, otherwise someone would call the cops. Still though, think about this, this great pull in us to connect. Why not become the one who lives with a full moon in each eye that is always saying with that sweet moon language, what every other eye in this world is dying to hear. One of my favorite poems.
And so the last thing that I'll mention is, um, is that acceptance of our lives, acceptance of every part of our lives is also a way of cultivating the gifts of joy. That um, when we, yes, we don't prefer to have, you know, pain in our hips or our backs or we don't prefer to experience aging or we don't prefer to lose our jobs or to have an illness. And yet we meet people who can step into that reality with joy and an openness, with an open heart, even if there's grief, even if there's a sense of loss, not denying the loss, not just putting on a face of joy, but in accepting that the grief is there, that the loss is there, the loss of health, the loss of a relationship. That's really the path to joy. Um, to open our hearts and, and accept and accept what is in our lives. So in any moment we can just look at our mind and, and see is it complaining? Is it resisting? Is it wishing things were some other way? Or is it present? With an attitude of, of gratitude, of, of, uh, of openness, acceptance, just arriving and, and being present in the fullness of life. So I'd like to, to have some time to uh, share, maybe to hear, that we hear from one another also, um, what are some thoughts or comments or questions maybe that have come up for you in, in this talk or in your experience in the day so far. Is there anything anybody would like to, to bring up, to comment on? Yes? Yeah, so um, equanimity. Equanimity is, um, is kind of what I've just talked about. Um, it's, it's a kind of a balance of mind and heart that accepts that I'm not in control. Uh, I can't I can't fix my life so that everything is perfect. I can't fix your life so that everything is easy and perfect for you. I can be with this moment with my life as it's unfolding as it is. I can respond with caring, and so in that way the other Brahma-viharas come into play. The equanimity is that kind of that balance and that groundedness of, I can't fix things, and yet I can take joy, I can, I can bring love, I can express compassion. So those four kind of work together, weave together. Um, so, so we can respond. Um, when we've accepted, yes, I have an illness, 
or I or I've just lost my job um, and uh, and so you know what now um, and uh, and so it's that kind of balance. Yes. When you were talking about gossip, what came to mind is um, that I think I'm, I'm you know, aware of when I go into that gossiping space and stepping back. And, and I forgot that something happens sometimes at home, you know, with my husband after a tough day. And we talk about how we feel, and but it goes into venting. And I realize that the times where it doesn't feel, uh, you know, it feels really kind of contracted, and, and um, you know, there's, there's something there that's not really healthy, is when the venting is about other people doing something. And then I realized with this talk that this is also what goes for me under gossip. Yeah. Is you know, oh, the boss did this, and the, this colleague did that, and and I'm thinking that those moments, I really, you know, the heart gets really closed up. Yeah. And um, it's not a feeling of having had a good conversation about how we feel and everything. It goes beyond that. So I'll right. be careful about that. Yeah, I mean, it's true. You know, it be it can shift from how did I feel? You know, like I felt. I felt humiliated or I felt I felt overloaded. It can shift from that to you know a kind of a demonizing somebody, you know, or or making them, you know, like it's something dehumanizing. Yeah, yeah. They do and who they are, yes. Yeah, yeah. Just quick for me. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's true. Just wondering when you see you see someone close to you moving into those area where you know they're just causing themselves pain because they're moving away from the source of joy. What should you do? You see, you see it so clearly. Yeah. Kind of sitting there. Yeah. Well, I guess you know. I, I guess the first thing that comes to my mind is to connect with our own equanimity, knowing that we can't fix somebody, you know, um, and um, and then, uh, you know, I find that for myself, like, just tuning into my body and, you know, Sometimes it helps me know when it's right to share something or say something or give some reflection and when it's not, you know, maybe doesn't feel like it would be welcomed or, or, or it's not the right time. Or, so, yeah, it's, um, so I, I know it, it's hard, it's hard, you know, with people that we love, with our kids, our parents, our, our, our friends, you know, when we see that they're causing harm to, to themselves and um, it's, it's a dance, I think, you know, in a way or some, 
something to find our way, our balance, you know, between engaging and giving them space to be who they are. Because, you know, each one of us is on our own journey. Each one of us is finding our way. Each one of us is learning, you know, through our experience and through our mistakes, too. You know, quote-unquote mistakes. I remember um, there was this uh, wonderful Jungian psychologist. I was a single mom for many years. I had two boys that I was bringing up and without a father, uh, very involved in, in their lives. And I was feeling very insufficient <laughs> uh, as a parent. And um, I remember having a, I was at some kind of event and I asked a question and he, and he said, he said, you know, essentially what he said was, you know, think about how you have learned in your lives. And, and you've learned through, you know, you're falling down and getting up and, and finding your way through difficult circumstances. And you don't, you can't protect your child from that. You, they have to also figure it out and find their way. And we, and we just need to trust that also. And, and, uh, you know, and wish them well. And I guess uh, in our own ways, whatever our, our kind of heart, you know, uh, tells us how we can do this is, is to pray for them. I mean, you know, it, I, whether you believe in prayer and how it's nor normally understood or just holding them in your heart, with kindness and goodwill and compassion, but you know there's a way in which we're we're praying for them. Well, that has to do with awareness too. Of, of Just speak up, people in the twenties. Um, like when you give an example of younger daughters, um, they may not be aware. Of course. Because they're, they're still growing and learning. Their lives are very distracted. Uh, but uh, I think awareness really helps. And sometimes it's good to point it out. Yeah, it can be. It can be helpful to point it out. So we have to discern when it's good to point it out. And, and sometimes awareness comes, like, if I don't see a wall and I'm walking and I bump my nose on it, and I hurt my nose, then I become aware of the wall. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes this lack of awareness, when you become aware leader, it becomes a burden to you. So it's, uh, it's not, that's not good either. So that's, I think, where self-forgiveness comes in. Yes. You just can only do the best you can. That's absolutely. Absolutely. Any other comment or? Question. Uh, for me, um, just the uh, awareness of beauty around me, like the flowers, uh, you know, the irises or the, the lilies and pinks, so just the beauty of uh, life around, just stopping and looking at that really helps to bring a surge of joy. So I guess it's just eliminating other stuff and putting that in. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, gratitude for the beauty and, and, and nature is also s nourishes us so much because, 
you know, when we're in nature, we, we feel, you know, it's like a tree doesn't think, am I fulfilling my purpose in life? <laughs> you know, am I good enough? Am I getting the most out of my life? Do people like me? <laughs> you know, and, and so we connect with that simple energy of aliveness in, in, in nature, which is so nourishing. There is a joy in that. Because, yeah, you talked about authenticity, and then I, I think I see how that develops in my life when I'm, when I'm applying for a job or something, and it's something I'm actually genuinely into. I, there's nothing forced. It's very, you know, I typically get the job, I get the thing, or I, you know, it, it sort of just works out well. And when it's not, when I'm sort of like forcing myself to try to do something because I think it'll pay money, or I, I think it'll in some way give me, you know, out of greed sometimes, then I, it never works out. It never works out. So it, it, for me at least, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's true. It helps to honor our, honor what calls us, you know, what we love, to do what we love. There's a poem by Rumi, um, uh, I think I know it by heart. Sometimes you hear a voice through the wall calling like a fish out of water, like a falcon hears the, the beat of the drum calling it home. This hearing, this calling, this turning toward what you truly love saves you. means that uh, there is an awareness that there are difficulties, people in difficulty, difficulties in this world, uh, and there's, there's a possibility of joy too. But I'm really aware, like in my practice now, I'm so much aware of uh, the need for social engagement and environmental, etc. And, uh, and that there could be, uh, I could see it sometimes for myself, like uh, kind of like thinking, like sort of this focus on the inner world and maybe not being so enough involved in, in the world. So it's just some things that are coming, popping up. You know, we're talking about acceptance and um, it's accepting what's happening now but also maybe not accepting what's happening to the planet or et cetera. Yeah, yeah. well, acceptance doesn't mean passivity. Acceptance means, first of all, not denying. So I think that in terms of social engagement, you know, acceptance means stop being in a state of denial about what is going on. And then that enables us to respond yeah, yeah. so so yeah that's why I, I didn't want to say 
call the uh, event Cultivating Joy. I wanted to say Cultivating the Roots of Joy. Because really, I, I agree with you, and I haven't emphasized that in our teachings today, but, um, but I think engagement, social engagement, is, is where it's this something bubbling up in, in the awareness in the Dharma world that this is an essential part of what it means to practice meditation and, um, and that we need to bring it into our practice. It's not something just about feeling good in ourselves, and, but it's, it's really looking around with clear eyes and encompassing the whole world in our practice. But, or and, bringing love. So it's when we bring this blame and separation and anger that we get into activist burnout. And when we can come from a place of love and compassion and engagement and inclusion, then we can, we can engage with joy, even in difficult issues. So I think that we need to kind of bring this to an end. We're a little over time. So thank you very much for, uh, for this really wonderful discussion. <laughs>